Asher Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and my guest this week is Erica McCauley. Erica, how you doing? Good. How are you? I am good. You and I have been spending a lot of time together over email and on Microsoft Teams because of the many projects we're working on together. So I appreciate that. Yeah, but we appreciate y'all. So, but um, are, you, are you are you managing to keep your head above water? I I think now it's. It's starting where you can see the top of my head. So that's a marked improvement. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thanks for joining me. I know you're busy, so we'll get right to it. One of the first things I ask our guests to talk about is their career path. And you kind of revealed this when you used y'all in the intro. You are not from Northwest Indiana. You are from Texas, correct? Yes. I was uh, born in Houston and raised outside of Houston and spent most of my, my life in Texas. But we made our way to Indiana thanks to my husband's job. So, yeah, that's but it all began in Texas. All right. Well, well, let's talk a little bit about your career path, because if LinkedIn is correct, you were a communication major and you're still in the world of communication. When did you know that that's what you were interested in doing and how did that manifest itself at at the start of your career? Sure. So I actually uh, wanted to be a environmental lawyer Mm -hmm. and I worked for an environmental lawyer or a lawyer in high school and he told me I needed to go and get an engineering degree. Um, but then I, I tried to do engineering at the University of Texas at Austin, and I thought, yeah, I, I'm not going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I decided to switch to communication studies um, and loved it. I tried to get into the PR program at UT, but the program chair laughed at me when I told him I wanted to go to law school. Oh, wow. So he didn't see how you know PR and law degrees were were um, related. But anyways, I stuck with communication studies. And I think that has helped me adapt to different situations that I've been in throughout my career. Sure. So was the the environmental law, was that at all Aaron Brockovich inspired or is that completely unrelated? I know some folks who have gone down that path and that was kind of the genesis for them. I, it actually started, I think, in a high school biology class. We had to choose between um, dissecting plants or insects, and I chose flowers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so I just remember going to these different fields outside of uh, Katy, Texas, looking for flowers. And I thought, hmm, well, maybe this is what I should do is, is save the environment. <laughs> yeah. right. Well, and, and you're a friend to animals everywhere, so you chose <laughs> to dissect the flowers. All right, so after college, what are some of the jobs you have and, and how do you get into them and why do you move on from them? Well, actually, one of the biggest steps in my career was during college where I got to work um, on a political campaign. My first one was for a governor's race in Texas. I was doing outreach work. Um, and one of the big stories I always like to tell was that, you know, it's so important to stay on message, not just at the top, but at the bottom, too, because I'll never forget uh Closer towards election day, um, we were going out and visiting voters that we had already ID'd as supporting the candidate. And, you know, when you're working on political campaigns, it's 80, 100 hours a week. And, um, you know, plus being a full-time college student. So to not have a lot of time for TV or anything else that was going on inside the world or outside in the world um, about the campaign. And um, 
a few of the voters had said, well, what's with this ad accusing your candidate of putting a hit on a DEA agent? Oh, wow. Yeah, it's not something you would ever think you would ever come across. Yeah. But yeah, that that really was just a moment um, for me because you know we weren't prepared, none of the field staff across the state of Texas, um, that this ad was going on or that we would have these pointers. I mean, we obviously know our, our candidate didn't put a hit on a DEA agent, but just the surprise reaction, you know, that, yeah. that you could have. Um, so that was sort of a catalyst for everything else, you know, moving moving forward. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, it's really easy to get sort of myopic in those situations when you're working on something you're passionate about. You, you need that objectivity occasionally of the outside world. I, I know I've done it in many different ways, but to hear from people who have a different perspective so that you, one, can be reminded that, you know, there's there's other voices out there, but two, so you can adapt to it and understand, you know, obviously that's a the one that you were faced with is a pretty big challenge to adapt to, but nevertheless, you got to know it's out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a pretty interesting story. I always, I like to tell, um, but um, I think too, it was part, part of my catalyst. I continued working on political campaigns after college, but you know, that wasn't a life for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't have, a big bank account to support those in between downtimes or be on the road all the time. Um, but I did go back to, uh, I did go to graduate school, not to law school. So I decided I wanted to go into communications um, and I got my master's in communications with a concentration on PR. Um, but there I really wanted to look at like how political campaigns are essentially PR campaigns. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there I went to, work for a national estuary program that we reported to the state's environmental agency in Texas and just got to work on some really cool issues that just, you know, shaped the foundation. Um, it was another, you know, turning point for shaping uh, my career where you really learned to build consensus. So those estuary programs are set up around the country where you have to work with stakeholders at federal, state, local level, you have to work with industry, businesses, nonprofits, you know, people who are not like-minded, bringing them together uh, to the table in order to just manage whatever it is that the estuary is trying, trying to manage. Um, and I got to touch on crisis communications, uh, risk communications. Um, anytime when you're dealing with environmental stuff, there's always a crisis or some risk you need to prepare for. Um, sometimes I think crises can be avoided. Um, you know, sometimes agencies tend to spiral into causing a crisis that didn't need yeah. to be there. Um, but you learn to adapt and manage those. And um, more importantly, building those relationships that, that you're a trusted uh, resource so that they can come to you. And then if you have those general uh, plans already in place, you just easily activate Um one of those are adapt them and into any of those types of situations. Sure, sure. So, so are there other stops before you get to Indiana, or do you go from there to to Indiana? Yeah, just I go from from there to to Indiana, and, and had to. I came here the day before Thanksgiving in 2012. Okay, all right. I think I was wearing shorts. <laughs> yeah. So, what were your? You and I are both transplants from other parts of the world. What were your first impressions of Indiana in November? 
Um, very cold. Yeah. Not good food. <laughs> <laughs> I think having the luxury of just different types of food, you know, yeah. whether it's Houston, Austin, or San Antonio. Yeah. Um, and then I think the weather was just something I think now I'm starting to adjust to, but yeah. Oh, no. So you're cold, you're you're hungry, you're probably tired. You're like the poem on the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> you're, you're, you're yearning to breathe free, yeah. <laughs> and I understand the concept of, like, no sun for days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I did not. And learning how to prepare to go outside. Mm-hmm. That was never, that was something I never had to do in the 31 years of my life prior to moving up here. Yeah. I didn't. Yes. That was quite an adjustment. Yeah, for sure. For sure. (laughs) So, so you, you're at Ivy Tech at this point, correct? You take a job with Ivy Tech. Is that your first job in Indiana? No, actually I started um, at a TV station. Oh, okay. Well, PBS TV station. Um, I, you know, in communications, if you're just out for a while and it can be harder to get employed, um, but two, I wanted to make friends and, and so took a job that was close to home. Um, but of course it just, it was entry level and I should have known better, Um, but went, moved on to healthcare and then got into ID tech Mm -hmm. and that's where we met. That's right. That's right. So, so talk a little bit about your role at Ivy Tech. Ivy Tech is probably known by most of the people listening to this podcast, but it's complex. It has campuses all around the state. Each of those campuses is a little bit different, um, and community colleges have you know challenges and strengths that other colleges and universities don't have. What was your experience like during your time there? Um, you know, it was it was actually really nice to be able to tap into an established team of communication colleagues that were around the state and in an agency. You know, I had that when I worked at the state's environmental agency, there was a staff um, at headquarters, but nothing like Ivy Tech um, that you could just tap into. And that's when I realized it was so important to be able to build relationship with other peers um, in your field. That way you can ask them advice, you know, counsel on different situations um, because a lot of times you might feel like you're the only person doing this or it might be just you what's happening to, but in reality, it's just, you know, a standard experience. I think too with Ivy Tech is really, I was over enrollment marketing. So it took me a while to really understand what that was, Um, but it was an opportunity to diversify from PR uh, into marketing and definitely use, you know, the the knowledge and expertise of those around me to help with that. Um, but it was definitely interesting. I would have to say that in types of all the political environments, Ivy Tech might have been the most. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just in terms of the number of people you have to get buy-in for. And you, yeah. I think at that time it was seven campuses. So there were seven campus presidents. Wow. Um, two foundations. Two sets of vice chancellors, two sets of deans. Yeah, um, you gotta get people's input because you, you know you want the input throughout, so people are yeah. buying. And then you had um, central office and Indy. Yeah. Local. 
Yeah, and, and higher ed can be really hierarchical. And I, and I say this as someone who's been both the victim of that and the victimizer because I'm on a board and have done other things. But um, you're in an environment where there's a lot of people who can claim to be the smartest person in the room. And sometimes you feel that when you're trying to get a decision made. <laughs> yes. Then not every decision has to be a committee, right? Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. So <laughs> for sure, sometimes there are committees for the committees. So you're there for about four years, is that correct? At Ivy Tech, I was there actually less less than two. Less than two. I don't know where I got four from. Okay, maybe it just felt uh, like it was four. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably had a few gray hairs from that. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, they um, hired a um, admissions director that we just had different ideas of what needed to go where and they wanted to take it in a different direction so I thought well that's not the direction I agree with and the opportunity to just um, go out on my own for a little bit which I think was good because it helped me get back to doing what I love instead of just that being all that energy sucked down yeah yeah for sure so how long do you do your own thing then I did it probably for um, a year, a year and a half. Um, I worked with some documentarians um, to help with their films. And one of them was about the Indiana Dunes. So we actually actually used that film um, when I was trying to research, you know, how do you market documentaries and, you know, how to make the most of a documentary. And it's always, what can a call to action be? And in this film, it had uncovered that the Indiana Dunes was first proposed as the nation's first national park. Oh, wow. Years ago, yes. But it never, you know, for a variety of reasons, just never took off. So huh. when I um, met with our my documentarians, I said, look, you know, why don't we use this film as, as the catalyst for that? And you know, thanks to their relationship that they had and, and, you know, PR marketing, it's a lot of behind the scenes work where we don't get a credit for a lot of those things. But I mean, Indiana Dunes finally became a national park. And if you ask the park service director for Indiana Dunes, he would credit this film. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't know that connection. That's awesome. Yeah. So, and, and too, when you're working with government agencies, it's sort of like you can't market this, but we, yeah. we are marketing it. And then, you know, there's a there's a nice dance, too, that you do with your congressional sure. representatives. Um, yeah. but, um, you know, in the end, we got it done 100 years later. So. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> hopefully your your next accomplishment won't take quite that long, but that's, yeah. that's a big one. That's great. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. That's awesome. So, so you're doing your own thing. Is your son born around that same time, or is that later? Yeah, I had him right before I started at Ivy Tech. Um, oh. And then um, I think he was probably two at the time, so I was trying to juggle yeah. you know, going out on my own and then having him, um, which was a real struggle, but we were able to put him back uh, into daycare. And then, you know, to be honest, I just got scared um, with a lot of the changes that were happening at the national level in terms of health care and student yeah. loans. But, wow, you know. Um, how how would this be sustainable for the, the long term? Um, right. It was nice. I got to pick my own clients, which I know that's not always the case in agency life. <laughs> well, I've been here long enough that I, I get to pick the good ones. That's why oh. I work together. So I pass all I pass all the other ones off to other people. Now, there's, that's not necessarily <laughs> true. But yeah, you, you can more easily say no when it's just you. And there's obviously some challenges that come with that. But yeah. 
So, so do you go immediately from your own um, work to uh, the job you're in now? Yes, um, I just I saw this position available, um, and I I really looked for that quality of life balance. But that's what was um, important to me. You know, having um, something where it's not you know at ID tech. You know, you could get calls at any time where you need to shut down campuses or, or something happen um, or, or something which is not so stressful. Um, and, you know, I had a lot more vacation time, honestly. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I had actually never heard of PTO until I moved to Indiana. That was foreign <laughs> to me. Yeah. Which is actually one of the reasons why I left my one of my other jobs um, before I came to Ivy Tech. Cause I didn't know um, 10 days PTO was all you get. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I thought, yeah, there would never be any way I could ever go home or go on a vacation with a little kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell us about, in your case, you work with multiple organizations in your current role. Tell us about that. What, what do those organizations do? What's your role and how do you balance all this stuff? Yeah, I think one of the things I had to learn, so in this role, um, I'm the communications manager for essentially three corporations, and then we have um, some subsidiaries. On top of that, we have several major programs um, within those corporations. Um, for the longest time, I was the only uh, communications person, but more than that, when I started, you know, I made sure to ask, like, do you have a communications department existing? Do you have brand, you know, those key questions where I thought, okay, am I going to be building this or I'm going to be walking into something that's already set and run? So it's really interesting when you work at an organization and what they think is set and running versus what actually is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's different variants on that scale for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, so basically I probably spent the first couple of years just centralizing communication so that everything would come through the communications office. So any shirts that needed to be printed, any reaching out to uh, creative or marketing agencies, um, advertising, uh, building our websites, SEO, um, just signage, all those different things that you have to do as a communications person just building those relationships uh, with key staff and making sure the processes were set up in place to put those checks in so that communications at least had a review. Yeah. So, so is yours, is the position you're in now, was it a new position when you were hired on? It was, there was a communications officer. Uh, that person only really focused on one of the corporations. Um, what I tried to do any going into any role that I've been in is develop, you know, goals and strategies for the communication office that align to the organization's overall goal. Um, because, you know, typically PR marketing, they're usually the first to be cut, you know, when budgets get tight. So um, thankfully my work in government, you know, we were always cutting budget 5% every year. So learning how to budget and then align what you're doing to the organization's goals is key. Um, so here I changed the focus from Geminis, which is the social service agency, to over on the healthcare side where we actually had more opportunity to, to generate revenue. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe someday you'll work for an entity that has like a huge budget because you went from government to a public community college. Now you're in, you know, a nonprofit healthcare institution. So you deserve like a rich opportunity to work in a retail establishment where the markup is like 500%, but not, oh, not yeah. Yet today. Yeah. So, so what makes the organizations you work for different? How do you define them when you're talking to people who might not have a lot of awareness about what you do? You know, that's that's really interesting. And that's why we wanted to embark on this this brand process to really get that input to see, you know, what is what do people think they know about us and what do we think we know about us? And then yeah. what do we think that people actually, you know, know about us to really stake our claim and to to help with that language, because I tend, one of my faults, I tend to, um, I think it's just through training, have writing or just language at a higher level where it really needs to go back to the, the kiss it principle, keep it simple, stupid. Um, and that's where I always want to have the experts come in and just help us, you know, meet, meet us where our, our stakeholders are at so that they get it, get yeah. it. And it's so important to healthcare because healthcare is so complicated, or at least we yeah. we as a society have made it so complicated. Yes. And it's high stakes. Uh, you know, people are are on edge about the topic, and it's it's one of those topics that, with very rare exceptions, people don't love to talk about it. And then they get hit with all this jargon, they get hit with all this complexity, and it's hard for them to make sense of it. So, so the role you play is really critical in kind of translating what is a really complex topic that people don't like to um, dive into and make it digestible and make it accessible. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, healthcare is changing with the Affordable Care Act that put in place to make healthcare transform from a reactive environment, you know, to more proactive. And people expect that now with, you know, a lot of these on-demand features that we can have thanks to Amazon and other retail environments there. You know, the American Hospital Association is doing that research where it's finding that, you know, people want their health care when they want it and how they want it. So, you know, it's taking, I like to joke here that we're on an aircraft carrier stuck in the Panama Canal. Um, <laughs> um, not that we can't even turn it around, right? But we can't decide yeah. if we're going forward or backward. But we, we need to make some movement um, because the world is moving faster than we are, we need to adjust for that. Yeah, and we saw that with you know telemedicine, the fact that you know that was controversial until there was no substitute, and all of a sudden it's widely accepted because people realize, hey, this has real potential. It can't be the only way in which people interact with providers, but it certainly can be a way, and it can make it more likely people are going to you know seek some kind of intervention before things get really bad. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think I think the pandemic really changed the way, you know, we are going to be doing medicine for a long time, at least, you know, those how we do just general doctor's visits. Um, you know, there's still going to be times where the doctor needs to come in and see you and take blood and, and do your weight. But I mean, it's it's not just changing how you and I interact in healthcare. I mean, it's changing healthcare marketing because there are new competitors for us that were never there before. And then yep. for us too, we're we're regulated by Medicaid and Medicare. So we have different rules than for-profits um, and we have a different budget, much lower. So 
you know, how how do we even, you know, work at the policy level to change that so that we can still be competitive down the road? Because, you know, we can't compete with the for-profits coming out of Texas yeah. that are advertising telemedicine. Yeah, yeah, the geographical boundaries mean less than they used to, for sure. So, Erica, I asked this question knowing that there's a lot of things you could talk about. Well, what are some of the major things that are on your plate right now? You mentioned the rebrand. I know you're working on revamping multiple websites. You're, you're doing basically everything, but what are some of the what are some of the big ones that are kind of occupying occupying your mind right now? Um, so there, the two big things are our strategic plan. So we actually started that before COVID happened and then COVID just transformed everything where, um, we actually had to, um, get all of our, most of our staff and then thousands of clients to be able to, you know, be productive virtually. So it was quite a feat, um, for us, especially, because when I first walked into this job, we had computers that, you know, that I had in the 1990s. So, I mean, it wasn't that bad, but it was that bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. Well, they can get pretty dated pretty quickly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, the other one is customer service, because, I mean, if we're, people have a choice now in healthcare, and if you're, if you don't understand that, and then you don't, well, if you don't recognize that and then you don't understand it and then you don't do anything about it, you will be left behind. Yeah, um, for sure. So, yeah, there are always going to be new players um, in the market and you're going to have to you know, stand out in ways um, that you didn't have to before. And, and having that customer service is so key. And, you know, we, we talk about how we want our clients to be resilient so that, you know, throughout their lifetimes that they can handle anything that comes their their way, you know, um, just not just their mental health or physical health, but their social health. Um, and sometimes I think we get in our own way of, of helping our clients. Yeah. Well, it's another case when you talk about service, it's another case where what people have been conditioned to expect from Amazon and from Trader Joe's, even though those aren't healthcare entities, they're impacting how people look at healthcare and healthcare. And I know this having worked in healthcare, don't know it as much as you do, but it has not such a great reputation overall as an industry when it comes to service. So there's a lot of room for improvement there. Yeah, definitely. So you've you've got those things. Anything else? What are the other major rocks you're trying to move right now? Um, the other one um, is the strategic plan, uh, which is nice. So our CEO asked me and one of my colleagues to spearhead that. So I think that's where we can make the most difference in terms of what are our important priorities moving forward um, and changing the culture here across the organization. So those investments in customer service, the investments in technology. I mean, I would love to see an investment in marketing, but if we aren't doing some of those investments in the soft infrastructure that I like to to call it, no amount of marketing um, is really going to help help us. So Sure, sure. Well, and it's it's starting with the big picture, and then hopefully over time it trickles down to all the different areas that have an impact on the brand. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to switch gears to the speed round of the show, which is where I ask you a few questions that are very much like what we've already discussed, but more concise, hopefully, if I can make them concise. The first one has to do with your career path. You have 
lived in a different place and come to this strange place called Indiana where it's cold and where the food is just, you know, mediocre and not as good as it was in Texas, um, and you have worked in multiple different industries, what's the most important lesson you've learned about building a successful career that you think would be worthwhile for people to hear? Can I have three? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I think the the first one is building consensus. So um, I don't... to me, it doesn't matter if you're working for a government agency or, you know, you're in a nonprofit, um, making sure that you have consensus along the way with different types of staff, especially if you're either the solo person or, or a small communications office, will help you down the road in that buy-in um, and sort of minimize those folks, those naysayers who aren't going to use whatever um, product you're putting out, like the website we're working on, <laughs> yep. or some of the, the creatives. So it, it can be painful, but I think, you know, in the end, it makes a better product or offering um, because you're considering those different viewpoints that you may not have thought of, too. Okay. Um, or you can at least head, head off potential viewpoints um, when, the, when the final product does roll out. Um, the other one is learning how to handle conflict. Um, you know, conflict can be something so small as someone doesn't like the the copy on something or or design, um, and that can be very very frustrating. <laughs> um, or it can be you know something that affects the whole organization that um, you want to um, be able to head off. So I think when your peers and higher up know that you can manage conflict in different situations, then they'll start to loop you in um, or at least have bring have you have a seat at the table so that you can see if there are potential risks or, or crises down the horizon and, and head those off. Yeah, um, it goes hand in hand with building consensus too, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and the other one is um, building trusted relationships with peers and marketing um, PR, our communications in general. Uh, I can't say how much of a, um, it's helped me so much at Ivy Tech just to, you know, learn what other um, marketing directors or staff were going through and how they navigated, you know, their politics of their campus or their environment um, and how could I, how I could apply it, you know, in my situation. And that was just so helpful to be able to have that. Yeah, well, and I think all three of those are related. You're not going to have consensus unless you have trust. And one of the ways you build trust is by uh, managing conflict in a healthy way. So I think that's a that's a great set of three things that all kind of work together. And and they're all hard won, but worth working for. It sounds like. Yeah, definitely. And, and with my staff, I encourage them to to do those things and, and build those relationships too. So they're an extension of this office. So. Yeah, sure. All right. Second question. Uh, You have a complex job. You work for a variety of different organizations. If somebody stopped you at the grocery store or on the street and they said, tell me what you do, tell me about the organization you work for in 30 to 60 seconds, what would you say? How would you sum it up? I know that's an unfair question because you do so much, but how would you sum it up? So uh, my son asked me, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I check the email all day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, somebody, 
somebody asked me not too long ago, they're like, what's, you know, you're an English major. What's the skill that helped you the most? And I was like, word problems, you know, or even you remember, it's like the driver gets in the truck, he's going to Little Rock, Arkansas. I said, that's what emails are. They're just word problems. And learning how to solve those has helped me in my career. So, but I digress. So what answer did you give your son? That's maybe a great entry point to that question. Yeah, so I tell him I do communications where if you see something on TV, like an advertisement, you know, mommy helps with that. Or on the news, you know, mommy helps pitch reporters those stories. So that's one aspect, you know, of, of uh, what I do. Um, but I do tell him I work for a public health network um, where we help people find housing or um, counseling um, or, you know, help them with their, their physical health help me so yeah so it's really the entire continuum of of health and wellness across yeah. yeah okay all right last question you you alluded to this you know we all have been through a lot in the last couple of years and i think those who work in healthcare even those who don't directly provide care have been through more than most of us. What did you learn, or I should say, are you still learning as we navigate the pandemic? What lessons did you come away with? Things maybe you didn't know before, but that you think will stick with you for the rest of your career? I think one of the things I learned was um, being flexible, especially with staff. I mean, communication, you know, we could do our job anywhere, um, but the pandemic really forced that, you know, situation. Um, and then, you know, the hours aren't always a hard, you know, nine to five kind of thing. Um, but really, I think it, it might be an old marketing adage where you just have to meet people where they're at. Um, but now even more, it's not just where, you know, where they're at, but how they want it and when they want it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, and the challenge for healthcare is just getting them to buy into that, um, but it's also an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Well, and certainly um, it's been forced upon us, but I think there's some benefit, especially if, you know, in your case, if you have a young child, you, you can be a little more flexible and make it all work together. It's still not easy, but maybe a few more options and how you respond to the demands of the job. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Erica, this has been a pleasure as it is working with you. We really appreciate it. Don't tell our other clients this, but you're one of our favorite clients. So yeah. thanks for being so great to work with. Thanks for the opportunity to do good work alongside you. And, and now we're going to go do some of it because I have a call with one of your colleagues in about 20 minutes and you have all kinds of things to do. So we'll close here. And again, I appreciate it. And thanks to everyone who took the opportunity to listen to this episode of the Asher Marketing Podcast. We'll be back next week with another great guest, and we hope you'll join us then.